Hello everyone, welcome to the Warif podcast, a place for dialogue on development that promotes social, economic and environmental progress. My name is Abir and I'm your host. It's my joy to connect with fellow developmental professionals, practitioners, academics and enthusiasts. My mission is to make the world a more kind, safe and clean place. I believe even small steps in the right direction can cause a chain reaction towards larger positive impact. Let's meet our guests and learn how they're working towards a better world. Today I'm going to be speaking with a dear friend of mine. Her name is June. So to tell you a little bit about June, I met June when we took um, the social innovation management uh, program with Amani Institute. And uh, to give you a little bit about June, she is from from Nairobi in Kenya. Um, she has been working in the social development space with a focus on youth development specifically. Uh, she is so much interested in supporting persons in mental health crises for holistic well-being. She also has experience in supporting micro enterprises for business development, specifically supporting women to enable them to balance between uh, their fam- family life and also their own personal professional life. June also has a passion for social innovation and that's probably why me and June have uh, so many things in common and that's where we met through a social innovation management program. So uh, welcome June. I'm so very happy that we finally found the time to do this together. So yeah, to kick this off, uh, let us know who is June. Tell us more about June, your identity. Who is June? We'd like to know. Thank you for yeah. having me. I'm happy to be here with you. So June is someone who is finding herself in the social innovation space and development. And I would say right now that I have been doing some research business development and with a focus on youth development and how I could help the youth uh, in micro enterprises and also I'm passionate about the mental health and how I can be able to support people in the mental health crisis I am also a mother and I look forward to uh, being on this well, so June yeah. tell us how do you you're a superwoman I always see you like when we take the modules the, it's very intensive like we do like almost how many hours we do Four, six, six hours of, of, of workshops uh, with, with Amani Institute. And I always see you very active. Like you come out, like you come from work, straight from work. And I can see your kids with you and you're very actively participating. How can you balance your like life with like, you know, raising your children and also at the same time being a full-time professional and also taking on a new journey through social innovation management with the Mani Institute. How can you balance all of that? That's very impressive. Thanks. Thanks, Abir. <laughs> I think uh, for me, it just has to do with time management and self-management and a lot of planning, you know, prior planning uh, my time and seeing when I can do what uh, so that by the time I'm getting into class that I can focus because you know, during the day, I've been able to work, uh, yeah. achieve certain tasks, you know, take care of my kids and do other stuff so that I can come into class and be fully Do you present. ever sleep, June? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I sleep and uh, I tell you, I love my sleep. But, you know, there are times when you just need to go yeah. the extra mile and wake up earlier or sleep a bit later. But 
Sleep is very important. Okay, great. So John, previously you've told me about your research. You told me that for the past few months, you've been doing research specifically with a focus on uh, gender enablement in Africa and Kenya specifically. So can you let us know more about that? What, what are your findings and the challenges that uh, are hindering these women from being full-time professionals and also establishing family? What's hindering them from doing both at the same time? Well, yes, I've been doing research on micro and small enterprises, micro, small and medium enterprises with a focus on women and youth. And uh, the challenges that women face are, you know, not so different from women in any other part of the world as are here in Kenya. But, you know, women, of course, have to balance their family life. Uh, Women who are just starting their families or who have young families, obviously, will have a challenge in balancing um, their work and also the home life. And so that's one of the challenges that I noted because um, in some cases, and because I've been working in vulnerable communities, in some cases, they have to give up maybe their businesses or their jobs so that they can tend to their children because they can't afford like nannies or daycare, as opposed to maybe a woman who has more means who can at least hire, you know, a help, who can help her with the children as she runs the business as well. So that's just one of the challenges. And then also there is you know, the society, we have more of a traditional patriarchal society. And so women don't always have access to assets, which could enable them to, you know, further themselves or facilitate maybe their their businesses. So you'll find that maybe the challenge is they, they do not have ownership to businesses that they start or access to things like land and, you know, money because maybe it's their husband who is uh, more in control of these assets. So those are like some of the issues. Do you think the reason women can't balance like being enabled in a professional career and also balancing that with their family choices to get married and have children, is it because of a lack of educational equity in Africa specifically? Have you, have you studied that or looked into that lens before? Do you have any overview on that? I would say that uh, today a lot of women are taking a lot of time to understand business, to understand also their rights and things that they can do to empower themselves. So financial literacy is on the rise because you'll find out there are a lot of women who are entrepreneurs, not just like in the market, but but also just in the business industry, women with shops, women who are, you know, doing mobile money transactions, you know, women are very present today in business. That's in Kenya. We're talking Kenya, not Africa. That's specifically Kenya. Yes, in Kenya. So they they they're slowly but surely getting more access to these resources. Would you say that financial literacy is both like in both genders? uh, There's a lack in financial literacy. It's not just women, right? Yes, yes, yes. It's both genders. Yes, I would say it's both genders, but you'd find that now in the case where maybe you're not literate on certain issues, you'd obviously just hire someone who can help you like an accountant. But I think, yeah, for a long time, you know, women were ignored in this area. And so they were not able to, you know, get the chance to understand um, record keeping and, you know, management of a business. But that's changing today because they're really stepping up and taking it into their own hands. Are there programs that you're involved in that relates to financial literacy or at the moment you're just doing research? Well, previously I was working in a foundation where we were very much engaged in a program that focused on financial literacy, on entrepreneurship literacy, and uh, focused on youth and women. So we would actually just go around doing workshops um, and educating women. 
and young people on yeah financial literacy how to start a business and you know the challenges they may face and also just try and help them understand uh, based on their interest which kind of businesses they could open so it's actually on the rise you did that with a local organization or with an international one i did it with a local organization i was attached to um, one of the banks in kenya they have quite a stable foundation and so, so it, this program it was done with, with a bank right with the local bank yes yes with a local Wonderful. bank how many people did you train so far when you were working with them how did you measure your success in this Well our success was actually based on the number of trainings and the people who were also attended our trainings and the kind of feedback we got I would say we've reached a minimum of 10,000 since the wow. beginning of all over Kenya yeah. as a country yes yeah, so all over Kenya because we would go to different counties and several thousand Did people participate also go to places like that were far away like yes yeah. to the underserved places have you like exactly. was it easy No, no, no. Of course, it's not easy because it involves, you know, like hours of travel. Sometimes you get there and you're exhausted, or you're doing these trainings daily. You know, so for a long period of time, like for a month or two at a time, you're just doing trainings. So of course, there was fatigue, but at the same time, we worked in a team that. Uh, so while you're working in a team, we were able to achieve this. Absolutely, right, yeah. So June, I really like what you're talking about because I'm going to talk about mental health in a bit, but at the moment, I'm also focusing. on uh, a lot of dialogues uh, in development i'm focusing on mental health and also financial literacy because i feel like through covid-19 we are affected or or these topics it's not affected we've been affected by being financially illiterate and having mental mental health awareness issues pre covid-19 but since covid-19 started these two topics financial illiteracy and mental health access came to the surface you know with covid-19 so i feel like i've been like these two topics are the main topics that should be addressed uh, when we talk about like achieving milestones uh, in the sdgs or whatever like sustainable development kpi was whether it's a national one regional one or an international one created by the united nations or uh, another international organization these two topics financial literacy and mental health uh, access are very very crucial because if you don't have you know these are basic needs if if these basic needs are not available you cannot um, operate uh, and be scalable in order for a human to sca- be scalable and become better you need to have both you know when we speak about financial literacy uh, before we go to mental health awareness i want to talk i want to learn from you actually because i'm mm-hmm. i'm working on developing a nationwide financial literacy uh, program and i believe each country has to tailor and culturalize and localize a financial okay. literacy uh, program so from your perspective and experience uh, a lesson learned that you, you you can share with me was the program designed for Kenya and for the Kenyan people and what was the most like inspiring story that came out of that program when he trained around 10,000 people well i would say yes the the program was localized so that we could um focus on the businesses that we felt were you know more 
you know, more popular or more um, cohesive to the Kenyan context uh, based on, you know, what people were more interested in, especially the youth and the women whom we were working with. So, yes, we did focus on certain pillars um, and we educated them on the in these pillars and how they can manage their finances in these areas. And we also supported them throughout the business development stage. And I would say what was most inspiring that came out of these trainings was when, you know, at the end of a training, someone would approach us and say they were interested in starting a business and then they would like us to help them, uh, you know, facilitate that uh, business of theirs. How did say, you deal is- with those people to make it scalable and, you know, sustainable? What technique did you use to make this program sustainable? Well, the business model, the business model that we were using at the time was, you know, first they would have to get training. You know, there's there's one thing about being interested in a in in something, and then there's also having the technical know-how. So if they were not, you know, trained on this area, then you know the likelihood of it failing was also very high. So we would start first by training them, and then after they've completed their training, if they were still interested in continuing with the business, then now we would proceed. Um, because it's not. Everybody who graduated or everyone who finished the training was now ready. You know, some would say, I think I need to get more experience before I can start my own business. And that would still be fine because now they have a skill, you know, they were, we left them with a skill which they could grow and then they would be able to either get employment or start their business. So do you, are you selective? Were you selective? Because 10,000, so just a quick going back to the 10,000 people you trained, mm-hmm. how, and how, did, how long did it take you to train 10,000 people? This was uh, something we did over a period of three to four years and okay. we were working uh, in teams. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And then when the selection period uh, comes, when someone approaches you after the financial literacy, you call it financial literacy educational program, right? That's how it's called. The first stage. No, I'm saying it was a business development program, but financial literacy was at the core of this program uh, where we need people to understand how to create financial projections and to manage the business. So it was... A business development one, that's the name, and financial literacy was a component, right? Yes. How many components were under this program, the business development one? I mean, there were different, there were different stages that we would take people through. There was like an introduction stage, and then there was um, an incubation stage. So the incubation stage is where we would, uh, you know, handhold them. Uh, you know, you give them maximum support, help them to find locations, how was it like organized and in, in, in what uh, way was it organized? Like the stages, how many stages were there? There were, there were three stages um, in this business model. Yeah. And how long uh, did each stage take? Um, the stages could take, well, for, we would give it a maximum of two years with the incubation being one year and then reaching to maturity in another year. So the first one is introduction, like financial literacy or introduction. The second stage is the incubation. And the third mm-hmm. stage is, what would you call that? It is maturity. So the maturity stage is where now the entrepreneur has grown to a place where they can manage their business and they can be able to ah. manage their, their So they already kicked their... off their business. That's the third stage, right? Yes. Okay, so the 10,000 people were trained, not separately. They were trained all together at the same time for three, no, four no, years. No. So it was uh, it was progressive um, with each year. We're hitting different numbers each year, and so. But the program, the whole program, takes three years, or one year. The whole program for one individual. 
No, it depends, you know, because there were those whom I, I you know, previously explained that uh, would begin by first, by first taking the courses, which applied to everybody, and that would take them between three to six months. And then the second part was now um, discussing business. Now from now that business development stage is all would take now two years. So if an individual decided to go through with us the whole way and they hit all the milestones successfully, then it would generally take them about three years. And that starts from the trick. I see. So it's selection. So not everyone can go to the second stage. It depends on their level, uh, right? That's my understanding. Okay, I see. Okay, Okay. I got you. I got you. That's a very impressive program. And 10,000 people is a very good number for three years. Yeah, it was very labor intensive as well, though, and uh, intellectually also intensive. Well done. I'm so proud of you. How many women, uh, like in, in terms of percentage, how many women participated in that program? Um, so the percentage is yeah. 60% uh, women. Wow, that's more than men. That's really impressive. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, let's go to mental health. You and I we have discussed mental health before many times. And uh, both of us agree that mental health uh, access, whether in rich or poor countries, in all countries in the world, has become a privilege. And that's a very sad thing because mental health is a shadow pandemic. And if people cannot access basic mental health services because they cannot afford it because it's a privilege, then how do you think that it's going to hinder their way in progressing and thriving and their lives whether it's a business or building a family or I don't know like uh, an education just to thrive and reach self-actualization this will hinder their like ambitious ideas to to improve themselves so I don't know I want to hear from you about that that's my thought I think I always keep on telling people that mental health is a social that it is a shadow pandemic so I want to hear from you what do you think um, I think you're right in calling it the shadow pandemic because it's also something that is stigmatized. And I feel like, you know, it's not something that our societies have been able to overcome and to overlook and say, you know, mental health is just the same as physical health without, you know, looking down upon uh, people Absolutely. with these disorders. I mean, I feel like for me, because I'm focused on youth development, this has affected the youth, especially during the pandemic. And, you know, for them, it's brought a sense of hopelessness because they felt isolated from their friends whom they used to meet at school. And then in the state of the economy and the industries, you know, um, that have been doing poorly since the pandemic, they're not even sure that after they graduate, if they graduate, you know, that they'll actually get jobs or will they be able to travel and things like that, you know, just because everything has been at a standstill for so long, it's been difficult. So I feel like youth have been really isolated and, you know, even the anxiety that comes you know, normally maybe from interacting online on social media, which is something that's prevalent to the youth, has now been exacerbated just because um, of the pandemic and the state of, you know, the lockdown. Absolutely. And you know what I think? I, I think we need to familiarize ourselves with uncertainty because life is all about uncertainty, not just the pandemic, but what the pandemic has, you know, with COVID-19 I think brought to the surface things that existed even pre-COVID-19, financial yeah. illiteracy, and also like uh, not having quite good access to mental health services. These two things have existed 
even pre-COVID-19, but with COVID-19, it came to the surface and people started to realize that. And the, and the COVID-19 is becoming a portal, a portal to something uncertain. We, we don't know where we're going, right? There's a syndrome that became very widely spoken about after COVID-19. I forgot the name. It's a syndrome that causes, that a lot of people have been affected by. I forgot the name, gosh. In Arabic, I know the name, but in English, I forgot the name. It has a funny name uh, where people got used to, I'll just explain what the syndrome is. People got used to staying at home. That after lockdown has been lifted, uh, they're afraid to leave the house you know, because they're depressed. Yeah, and that's very sad. And they say a lot of people have been facing this problem, but they don't even know about it. It's not widely spread. And so the majority of people who have been affected with this syndrome are females, according to studies. But I'm not sure about that. Anyway, so I want to speak to you about um, your projects for the future. Like, what do you aim for? What are, What is your dream? What do you want to achieve in your life? What do you want to be remembered for? <laughs> um, I think, wow, that's so, so wide. Um, but I think I would like to be remembered for being kind, for being someone who could be relied upon, you know, not just during because of the pandemic or during the pandemic, but just in my lifetime. I think I would like to be remembered as someone who was kind to others. Uh, but, you know, speaking more on what you said about the pandemic, I think it's true. What has happened, the pandemic, we don't know where we're going, but it has also uncovered so many issues, underlying issues that, you know, we tend to ignore on a day-to-day basis. And so when you talk about this syndrome where people are now scared to leave their houses, I think I'm not surprised to hear it just because, you know, when you're sitting in the house by yourself, you now you start thinking, right? You remember these situations that you have been in, your yes. emotions to the surface and so yes. now you realize um, yes. you start listening to yourself and mm-hmm. I think that is the scary thing when you listen to yourself and you start to understand these issues that maybe you've been ignoring you you, you feel afraid you know you're like because you don't know how to react you don't know how to to manage it and so being in the house you know was a safe place and it feels like a safe place and so just getting back out there becomes very hard uh, for so many people just because you felt safer in your house and especially you don't want to leave when maybe you're questioning yourself you're like who am I and how do I what do I do how do I proceed from here you know I mean the syndrome you spoke about speaks a lot to um, our state of mind and also our state of being as human beings how we tend to just uh, sweep things under the rug you know you'd rather not confront something uh, you'd rather pretend it's, it's not there than actually face you know the difficult issues so, June, you said something really nice, but I know you're very humble. You don't like to talk about yourself. I will say this about you. You're one of the kindest people I've ever met. So you said you'd like to be remembered for being kind. What is kindness to you? How would you define kindness? Um, I would define kindness as compassion and empathy. Because, you know, when you're empathetic, you're able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and, you know, imagine their situation. And also just to be compassionate about what people are also going through. So for me, I, I mean, I would define kindness in that way, you know, just being good to others without actually wanting something in return, because I, I don't think that's, that's the point. That's altruism. Of- Amazing. That's the highest kind of, the highest type of kindness. I mean, that's altruism. That's giving without expecting something in return. That's what you mean, I believe, right? Yes, yes. 
Yeah. Well, I strongly believe in altruism. It's true um, because I think the the point of kindness is not to um, to expect something in return, but it's just to give for you know because that is what she wanted to do is giving for the sake of giving. Yeah, I believe I, I love I love that I love what you're talking about. Like if you're comfortable sharing a story, if not, that's okay. I totally understand. What is a story that you've encountered yourself where someone was extremely kind to you to the extent that you would always remember that forever if you're comfortable sharing that with us. If I could just give you an example briefly, I think um, the first boss I had, my my first employer was was I felt was a generous person, and I think it it also speaks to like um, employment. You know, there comes a point where um, it's also very hard to balance a good work culture, a good employer, you know, and a good atmosphere. And also, also in terms of like salary or reward, uh, you know, sometimes you have to choose one. And I think if you ask me today, if I would choose a good boss or a good, you know, well-paying salary, I would really, really have to think about it because I think at the end of the day, if someone has good intentions for you, then you will eventually find the reward, you know? So for me, I think that's one example. And I would say having people in your life who um, have good intentions for you is, is, is very important. Yeah, I like that. I, I want to ask you something um, because we all work in the social sector and both of us know that anyone who works in the social sector is not someone that is business minded. You know, it's not it's not a sector that makes money, but you do it because you love it. What, when was the turning point in your life where you thought that you want to work specifically and dedicate your life specifically to the social sector? What was the turning point? I don't know. Okay, you see, like for me, I stumbled into the social sector. You know, I didn't actually expect to be working in the social development space. But something that I, you know, I thought about because, of course, you care for those who are around you. Um, but I think for me, the turning point and just realizing that this is something I ultimately want to do was um, during our classes, um, the SIM classes, the social innovation management, because I found all the material that we were reading, all the material we were studying very, very interesting. Like it is something I would get up in the morning and do. Uh, you know, I envision myself even after the class, I will go and, out and look for material on these subjects and read about it or watch, you know, material on these subjects. Just because, you know, I want to know more so that I can affect the change that I want to see. Um, and I feel like, yeah, so that was my turning point. And of course, when when you see um, the inequity that is around you, for me, um, when you talked about the SDGs earlier, I feel like reducing inequality is is the SDG that I want to work on. My because I feel like when you when you can reduce that, when you can bridge the gap just a little bit. Between genders, you mean? Not just genders, but I feel also like in terms of amenities, in terms of education, just reducing that inequality so that people can have, have more yeah. yes, access, have a more balanced life. For me, that I feel like that's my goal. Oh, I love that. So if, if I would ask you, who's your role mo- model today and why? Do you have an answer? Uh, honestly, I can't say I have a particular role model. I just anyone that comes to your mind, like whoever. In like professionally, in my in social development. In general, in life. In general, okay. Well, you know, because I'm also a podcaster like you, I would say my role model in podcasting is Shankar Vedantam. He does mm-hmm. a, a podcast. It's called Hidden Brain on NPR and he's very very smart in the way he approaches um, psychological issues life experiences 
And if it's, you know, the way he, he brings out the story and the way people are able to tell the stories. And I feel like if I get to a, a, a level of, of, of such skill where I can bring, you know, um, things to life like that um, yeah. on other aspects as well, just like um, you get to a, a level of expertise where you can actualize your ideas. And I think that's what I want for myself. Yeah. I'll check it out. Definitely. So I have a very, like, outside of, like, the box question. If you had one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> That's my favorite that question. question. Yeah. I love that question. I think my superpower would be, is it telepathy yeah. or telekinesis? Um, I don't know if you watch X-Men, but there's Jean, Jean Grey. She's able to move things with her mind. And I think I love wow, that. Wow, what do they call it? That, that has a name, right? Kind of yes, has something. Yeah. What's your name? Jean Grey. Oh. So for anyone who's an X-Men fan, uh, yeah, Jean Grey is the one. <laughs> wow, wow, that's amazing. She really, that yeah, literally moves. Uh, Why do you want to do that? Um, I think it's interesting. And also, to be honest, sometimes you could feel lazy, right? So you're in the house and you want to be <laughs> like, um, let the dishes be the Or maybe you'd know? rather be in two places at the same time. Maybe, what do you think? Is, is it better? Yeah. yeah. I'd be able to actually multitask, you know? I could physically be doing this thing while my mind is telling, you know, the dishes to do themselves or the laundry to start going, you know? I think it's a brilliant power to have, to be honest. How, how do you pronounce her name, Jean Grey? Uh, yeah, Jean Grey, J-E-A-N, then Grey. I see, yeah, okay. I'll look her up, that's interesting. So... Is there a quote that you live your life by? Not entirely. I mean, I'm a Christian, so my my quote is based on my faith. Yeah, but which is fine. Yeah, I, I love that. So, what, uh, um, what is there a, a verse from the Bible, maybe, or perhaps anything that you live your life by? Actually, you know, the thing is, I wouldn't put pinpoint it on just like one verse, but I would say I recently came across a saying, and I think it's based on a, a faith that I have never heard of, but I agree with what they discuss or the motto that came out of it. It's uh, they're called Zoroastrians, Zoroastrians, and I think they're based in 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 Persia, Iran, wow. Iraq, right, yeah. uh, and India. You know, the I think the the history, the heritage comes from Asia. Yeah. So um, they have this thing that says good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And so I think that's what I'd like to do. Oh, interesting. Yes. So besides your career, we've been talking a lot about your career and education. What hobby do you practice mainly? Or if you have a free time? I'm sure oh, you're all okay. Yeah. I like reading. So um, I'll generally be reading a book or watching um, Lovely. a series. You know, I like these investigative series. So that's what I do with my free time. What, what's just, your favorite series? I like crime, crime series. Okay. My favorite ones are like Bones. There's one called Bones. And um, yeah, I mean, this, uh, my brother watches that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your yeah. favorite book? You said you like to read. Um, one of my favorite, favorite books is called The Time Traveler's Wife. I have so many yeah, books that I love. Read that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought that book was so well written. Yes. And the woman is actually a, a professor. And I feel like when, when scholars write books, they write them so, so well. 
And it really just blows my mind because I love reading books by people who are in, in academia because it's written, it's written very intellectually, you know? And there's a film on that as well. I think it's from the book, right? They created the oh, movie. Yes, exactly. They did. So if I would ask you, what advice would you give to younger generations? What would that be? I mean, I think I would say be smarter than the generation before you. I think my kids will need to be smarter than me, you know, because as it is right now, um, you're very smart. Have to be... <laughs> I mean, I may be smart, but I think they'll have to be smarter just because of the state of, of things right now. You know, they'd have to be more innovative and come up with different ways to, you know, solve the kind of problems that we're having right now because it's, it's gotten to a point where... What's the most you know, complex problem in your point of view? that the world is cannot solve or there's nothing that we cannot solve, but that is the most challenging problem in the world to be solved besides COVID-19. Um, I would say the most challenging problem we need to solve is, is probably hate. Hate, even before the pandemic, you know, it was with us. And so solving hate or reducing hate, I think for, for us, that's, that's probably going to be, you know, the most challenging thing. And probably it's going to be well, like one of those existential problems that every generation is going to have to tackle consistently. I like that. So accepting our diverse backgrounds, you mean, our diverse ethnic or religious or whatever, like all our diverse backgrounds. That's what you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. Okay, to wrap up, I, w- I, don't, I, do, I really don't want to end this call. Uh, or uh-huh. yeah discussion because it's such a joyful discussion always but I I want to ask you one last thing I if, if you'd like to like share with us your future uh, projects and anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up I can't say for certain what my future projects will be but it'll probably be in sustainable entrepreneurship and mental health still still within you know the focus of the youth interesting Financial literacy, it's going to be financial literacy and business management and entrepreneurship, you think? I think for me, okay, well, you know, I feel feel like financial literacy is important, but it's not everything. Because in terms of social entrepreneurship, I think for me, what I would say is... So what are you focus on with you? I think it would be sustainability because you can start something and it will collapse. But if you can start something that you'll be able to work on it and it will sustain not just you, it will sustain your children, your grandchildren, you know, to, to get something with a, to create something with a sense of continuity to it. So for me, um, financial literacy will contribute to the sustainability of social entrepreneurs and of all kinds of businesses, actually. So I think it's a, it's a core component. And so if financial literacy is what it takes to, you know, create this certain business and create a sustainability for it, then that is you know, what I'll focus on at the time. Interesting. I like that. So is there anything else you'd like to add to our audience before we wrap up? Well, I mean, I would say to our audience, if there's anybody, I mean, I think regardless of whether you're working in social development or not, is just to to do everything with foresight, to do everything, you know, thinking about um, tomorrow. Because, yes. you know, they say tomorrow never comes, but maybe, you know, there's somebody else who's tomorrow you will you know affect someone else's tomorrow whom you will change absolutely. and so doing yeah with the foresight i think is always a good way to go absolutely thank you so much june this was really a very insightful discussion 
always interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much for Thank your you. time. Yeah, for me too. It's also been, I think I've also been discovering things about myself as we're talking. So <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Have a nice day, darling. Thanks for joining us and listening to Arif. Remember that you can make a difference in the world, even with small steps in the right direction. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a rating and a review. If you have a suggestion or a comment for future episodes, email me at abwer at warif.com. Until the next episode, have a good one.